0: to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all. Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
1: All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 183 for May 19th, 2014. On today's show, we're talking about hand tool dust collection, steam-bending kiln-dried wood, flattening a partial log slab, and using molding planes on curved edges. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Festool. Some tools stand apart the most when they're working all together. Explore a full system designed to deliver more precise results at FestoolUSA.com. All right, and I'd also like to thank a recurring donor here that signed up, Dan S. Thanks so much. We always appreciate that kind of support. Uh, you can help us out too if you want to. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in that left-hand column and you'll see some links for uh, one-time donation, recurring donations, a very small amount, whatever you want to do. Uh, less than the price of a cup of coffee, as they say. And uh, it adds up, it really does, and it helps us out, so we appreciate that. And what do you say, guy? Let's uh, guys? Let's talk about what's on the bench. Want me to go first? Okay. Can I go first? Sure. Mm, this time. I, ch- I should check with you. I mean, really, I should be more polite about this in the future. I just kind of jump in there sometimes. I should ask permission at least. Wait, who is this speaking? No. Oh, oh, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've had a little bit of a – it was a strange weekend, and I'm a, kind of a different person. When you're in the Des Moines area, here you do become <laughs> a lot politer. That's right. So, uh, so, much, so much nicer <laughs> after, after visiting the Midwest. Uh, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, well, speaking of the Midwest, I went to Weekend with Wood. Which is kind of funny because, Matt, you went last year. Nobody else went. This year, I went. Neither of you went. So, and you're up next. I'm up. Yeah, I <laughs> did hear that. Though. It's, yeah, it's on the schedule.
0: They just send it out. Maybe 2016. Yeah. There's a possibility it could return, but they're still not quite sure.
1: Yeah. Well, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, Matt, you described the event pretty well last year, so I, I won't go into all of it again. But uh, I kind of knew what to expect. The whole thing takes place at the parent company, Meredith's uh, corporate headquarters, basically, So it is all within this office space and there's a lot of different rooms you got to kind of move around and walk through this door and go that way and this is downstairs and my sessions were all in the basement where I belong apparently.
0: (laughs) Was it at least a little bit cooler this year? They had a little problem with the air conditioning last year so it was fans everywhere. Well
1: it was pretty yeah there were a couple of fans but it was actually very you know I don't know seasonably if this is a cooler time of year than it usually is but it was it was pretty cool. It was jacket weather for the most part Um, so down in the basement it was actually kind of warm and toasty and very comfortable so Uh, Yeah, so my sessions went pretty well. I didn't have much time to go to other sessions because I was busy taking tours of the facilities. (laughs) And wow, I mean, a lot of times when we think about these magazines, we talk about them as if, you know, they're just wood magazine or pop wood magazine. We don't really think about the fact that they're actually part of a much, much bigger parent company who is really pulling the strings, you know? So we think about like the personalities of these magazines. And if they do something wrong or we think they should change, you know, we just assume, well, Look, why aren't they just responding to market forces like everybody's interested in this? Why don't they talk about that? Well, things don't work that way when you've got a really big company and it's very obvious when you go there and you realize that wood is just this one small little portion of a massive behemoth company. You know? Yeah.
0: Yes, very much so, especially when you're like walking down like probably during the tour you did like the uh, walk down the hallway where there's like all the magazine covers and you're like yeah. – I pass by every one of these magazines uh, either at the bookstore or while I'm trying to check out in the grocery it's store.
1: Like, it's like half of the periodicals rack at the, <laughs> the bookstore. I mean, uh, they really have a lot of publications and Wood is just one of them, you know, and it's it's fairly small compared to like better homes and gardens and uh, so I took this tour and this place, is massive. I mean, they've got things that look like movie sets and stages and like all these faux walls that they kind of move in and out for different, uh, setting up different images that they have to take. Um, and I wrote a, a little article on it on the Wood Whisperer. So if you want to get a little more information about the whole thing and, and how my experience went, uh, you can get that there. Uh, pretty cool stuff. I'll put a link in there for you guys. Um, the other thing I did while I was there, because someone says you, you can't go to Iowa without going to the woodsmith store. And if you're not familiar, that is the, you might know the woodsmith uh, show, uh, the woodsmith shop, which is a PBS program that uh, a lot of people are familiar with. Well, they also have a store in Iowa and it is amazing. Uh, I have to say this is probably the most impressive woodworking store I've ever been to. And I've been to quite a few. Wow! Yeah, previously, yeah, Woodworks in Ohio was my previous favorite, and they're still good. Uh, I haven't (laughs) been there. I haven't been there in a few years, but uh, just by memory. Uh, But the woodsmith store, right? You walk in, uh, and because they have other properties that they're trying to serve here, they've got like cooking things and food, and also barbecues. So I'm I'm walking down. Yeah, I'm walking down the aisle, and there's like power tools on my left and barbecue sauce and grills on my right and I'm just like this is my people. This is the magnolo aisle. <laughs> yes. This was custom made for me. If you had a video game section I would just I would pass out. Uh yeah so they they've got this great little viewing room like think of the those like high-scale home theater stores where they have a place where you could listen to the speakers and and watch some sample video. Um they've got that only it's just two comfy chairs and the Woodsmith shop running on the TV just this little isolated room. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so I had my coffee, uh Nicole was over on the other side looking at something else and I'm like this is sweet. This place is just great. So yeah. That's really Big when I was
0: there, that was one of the things. Is there was always the conversation during the meals, and they're like, "So uh, don't tell the guys, but we're gonna get a group together. We're heading over to the, uh, the the store. Do you want? Are you in?" I'm like, "I'll cover for you guys. I don't think I should head over there though."
1: <laughs> well, you feel bad because it's like they're associated with August Home Publishing, which is the company that publishes Woodsmith, which technically is a competitor for Wood Magazine. So you feel bad cheating on Wood to go see the Woodsmith store, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, screw that. I'm going there. The place is awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I did
0: hear that since they're so close to each other, they have a very amicable neighbor uh, neighborhood going on there, like a, a neighborhood rivalry. So yeah, that's I don't good. think anybody's going to be uh, chiseled to death yet, but I'm sure <laughs> if enough people keep, you know, like showing up at Meredith and going, "Hey, am I close to the woodshop place?" Or <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: well, either way, ultimately, great weekend, had a lot of fun. I got to hang out with uh, Steve from Mere Mortals. Um, probably more than he was comfortable with
0: I kept taking <laughs> did pic- look a little uncomfortable in a couple of the pictures I, like, well, I, okay, kept taking,
1: I kept taking pictures of him and trying to come up with phrases that were like something for mere mortals so it was like eating for mere mortals and walking for mere mortals and then going to the bathroom for mere mortals but yeah, you know, <laughs> didn't he, like that? he wanted to draw the line at a certain God, point what's and his I'm like problem? Steve lighten up dude just lighten up come on
0: uh, <laughs> the yeah. camera's not going over the top of the uh, little divider you're okay <laughs>
1: Oh, it was awesome. That was a good time and if you have a chance, uh, this is definitely a smaller event than like woodworking in America that we tend to, to go to every year um, but that, that, that size difference makes it a little bit more intimate and you can really get to talk to the instructors. You have a chance, uh, definitely have a lot of chances to have your questions answered and not just that, but to, to take some time after the fact and have a nice conversation with the instructor. I mean, you could do that at woodworking in America too, but you've got a lot more competition from people who want to talk to Christian Wars <laughs> before you do. Um, you know, it's a little bit harder, still possible, but this is definitely a little more intimate. So, a uh, lot of fun there, and then you should definitely look into it. It's uh, weekendwithwood.com is the website, and you'll have to wait till next year, uh, probably quite some time before you get information on next year's uh, convention. But if you get a chance, definitely go.
0: Now, your classes,
1: uh-huh. did they
0: have to bring in extra chairs for them, or would you say it was like uh, evenly did. filled? Did anybody get up and leave and like throw stuff down? and like, I can't believe I paid for that.
1: Well, when I got there, there was a construction crew because they had to remove the back wall and extend it back further to make room for all the people. Uh, but I was other, wondering if that was going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's just, <laughs> just the thing that happens. Did you, know? you provide plastic sheeting for the first <laughs> row? That's right. I've got my giant hammer. I uh, sometimes squash <laughs> cans of finish. It's just a, you know collateral damage when you come to one of my sessions. Uh, all right, well, Shannon, what about you? Uh, well, I am uh, prepping,
2: putting together some work. I'm doing a webinar with Popular Woodworking next, next week.
1: So I heard in my inbox five times.
2: yeah right seriously (laughs) only one of them was from me probably
1: yeah yeah
2: it's uh it's something that popular woodworking is kind of revamping their popular woodworking university um they've got some new software new website it's all part of that shop class on demand thing yeah so they've they've got a lot of ambition and in fact i spent a lunch on the phone with them today Doing a, a dry run of this webinar, and they definitely have a lot of ideas, so i'm really curious to see if they can make them happen um, cool. some of the Some of it is is a situation where you wonder if we have the technology yet to to do some of what they want to do but it's it's exciting it's exciting to see a print publisher investing so heavily in digital mm-hmm. so that, I think that bodes well but yeah it's a it's a webinar about um about wood go figure. Uh, but not about identifying wood, but more about understanding uh, when I look at a spec ch- uh, spec chart of a species, how can I tell how that wood is going to work by looking at a, cue, uh, a few uh, key points. So we're not going to be pulling out hand lenses and trying to identify random species. I, I would never do that. But uh, I, I think it should be really helpful. I did a hand tool school lesson on this about a year ago, and it was it received very, very well. So I'm taking it to the big time, if you will. Nice. And then uh, as far as in my shop, I actually just put up a, a wall <laughs> on, on on one um, one side of the shop, covered up the cinder block with the, the stud work. I haven't sheathed it yet, but um, I really enjoyed that. I mean, you talk about like no precision required, <laughs> no accuracy woodworking. It's just awesome. You know, put together a stud wall. Yeah, that looks like about right. You know, lop that thing off, hammer it together, and stick it up on the wall. It was just I really enjoyed that construction side of things. You know. Sure. Um, yeah. So well, yeah, right it, now I have bare studs
1: on one wall, and uh, yeah, look out, ladies. Are you, <laughs> are you concerned about the like in a smaller shop? I know I would be sort of greedy about every available inch. So are, are you concerned about just the few inches that you might lose with this process of, uh, you know, what, what do you have up there? Just furring strips or two bys or?
2: No, I'm, I'm doing two bys and I'm doing them on their, you know, as you would normally build a wall. So okay. the long dimension is coming out from the wall. So then you're so, losing quite a bit. Yeah, I'm losing three and a half inches. Well, okay. it'll be four inches by the time I put the sheeting over top of it. And I, I, did, I did think about that. Mm-hmm. I was really concerned at first and I thought about going to furring strips, but I still I cleared everything away from the wall and realized how much crap I had let pile up against that wall. Yeah. And I was already living with about three feet less space. Okay. From just stuff piled over there. That wall will eventually, it's not going to have anything on the floor. There's going to be, you know, my tool cabinet would hang on the wall and a couple of wall hanging things, but nothing on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it is amazing how much room I have yeah. now that that everything's cleared away from that wall which is another interesting construction thing in a small shop. I can't actually like build the whole wall at once. I had to split it in half. Um, either side of my post drill was a good place to to do it, but I I don't have the space. I move everything over to one side of the shop, and there's no space to actually do anything. So I actually mm-hmm. assembled the wall and, and hammered the wall, the stud part together out in the driveway, and then kind of carted it in, and you know, I had to move three things out of the way just to be able to put the wall in place. So I've just decided to to build it, you know, one half and another half, and move move all the junk over to the other side. That I just put up the wall.
1: Sure, yeah. it's
2: uh, it definitely could benefit from like me taking a week off and like moving everything into the driveway and putting a guard dog on it I'd have to go get a a more useful dog than what I have now. Alex Um, would be like, come on, you can, let me
1: me show you where he keeps the good sauce.
2: (laughs) It's definitely more difficult renovating a shop, an existing shop when, especially considering I can't quite give up the shop because I've got a couple of projects that are underway, um, a couple Mm -hmm. of videos and things that are probably not going to come out on time. Because I've still got to finish them, and now I have to clear a bunch of stuff off of the bench in order to get back to it. But um, I'm excited to finally be doing something. I've been planning this renovation for so long, um, and just one thing after another has gotten in the way. So,
1: well, those are the hardest ones because everything, like you said, everything wants to come to a standstill, and that's hard. You know, when you've got obligations, it's really tricky to do. (laughs) So, but it sounds like you are getting. We'll see if a
2: year from now, if there's still exposed studs.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well it sounds like overall though, a net gain, you know, in, in space, even though you're losing a few inches, because everything's now more organized and sort of master yeah. plan. Spring
2: cleaning was was quite beneficial. Yeah. There's some weird stuff <laughs> in the corners and in the drawers in my shop. <laughs> nice.
1: Well, very cool. Matt, what about you?
2: Uh well, really this weekend I I
0: didn't do much of anything. Well, I should take that back. I I did a lot of stuff and uh, easily 99.9% of it had nothing to do with woodworking, unless you consider carrying logs to a big bonfire <laughs> as woodworking.
1: Nothing wrong with that.
0: No, not at all. So it was it was definitely a chance to get away. Our friends have uh, their cabin, and we plan on spending as much time there as possible. So it was one of those, well, if I come up and help you set it up for the warmer weather, maybe do a little yard work, stuff like that, can we stay, please? <laughs> so. Nice. I think we're, we're set up for Memorial Day. I think I, I did enough work, and they haven't found the damage yet that I'm aware of. There's yeah. been no phone calls or anything. Uh, so we're, we're good for the Memorial Day weekend. I should, actually, I should take that back. One thing we did do is uh, the guys up there are a little obsessed with uh, sharp instruments that you can throw. So we're talking tomahawks, uh, <laughs> nice. throwing knives. I did hear a rumor there might be some stars coming out soon. Not really sure. <laughs> oh, that's um, awesome. And, and the funny thing is they they brought a one guy happens to own a, a really, a really nice bar in the area and he has a, a bunch of dartboards that he just wasn't going to be using anymore. They just didn't fit into the, the scheme of what he's doing. So he brought those up and so we are trying to set up like multiple dartboards on a single board and we want to have them outside and we want to be able to just remove them in case, you know, we're gone for the week or something like that. So I did come up with a multiple dartboard. So that when you're throwing the knives, you'll hit a dartboard potentially <laughs> <Hopefully>. <laughs> uh, or somebody preferably not behind it, maybe the tree behind it. So I had to come up with a way to rig those onto a board and then have the board easily come on and off. So I did like those keyhole holes, you know, the the type of thing, mm-hmm. like usually on the back of a picture frame or like one of those floating shelves. Sure. So kind of big hole, little hole kind of a thing. But I didn't have a router or anything, anything like that. So thankfully, I went out to the garage, found some old rusty drill bits that still kind of ripped into the wood and I was able to kind of dig out a little bit on the backside. They're not pretty at all. But when I got them onto the lag bolts, holy living daylights, they worked.
1: That is some fine woodworking. right there.
0: I know that's, I said the same thing. <laughs> and then we had a conversation kind of like when Shannon was talking there about getting his uh, stud walls up. They're like, so you do a lot of carpentry. I'm like, no, I'm a woodworker. <laughs> well, can you explain the difference? I'm like, uh, carpentry let's see uh if you have a half inch gap you're pretty satisfied uh woodworking <laughs> you get that 64th
1: of an inch and you're like uh, oh no 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 i got to restart the whole thing <laughs> yeah well and i and i'll tell you what the construction guys have a whole different uh perception of of speed As well. I mean, watching my shop go together made me realize that I'd last for about five seconds on that job site before those guys (laughs) kick my butt and uh, say, get the heck out of here. You know, you have no idea what you're doing here. Exactly. Uh, Yeah.
0: When they use a speed square, it actually is supposed to be speedy. When I use a speed (laughs) square, I spend half the time trying to figure out if I shim it. Will I get a more accurate result?
1: Well, Well, you're there with your engineer square, making sure that your speed square is actually square. That's,
2: yes. Yeah, oh, so you did see that picture. Oh,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that sounds that's, good. That's
2: kind of how that wall went together, too, because the the ceiling in my shop is actually sloped. Um, right. So it's, it's what, narrow or shorter at the back of the shop than it is up the front by the garage door. So, yeah, I was, like, individually sizing the studs, and I was like, this is really stupid. You know, oh,
1: man, <laughs> now I got to do math. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> All right, well, let's move into what's new. got a couple of things to share with y'all. That's going around. Uh, First thing is from Ray. Actually, I heard Nicole listening to this. It's a news story and uh, I was just kind of overheard it and then this wound up in her inbox as well. So thanks for sending this in, Ray. Uh, It's a really good story and Ray says about a woodworker doing something really awesome for someone. And you have to look at it. It's a news story about a family that had a very unfortunate uh, situation with a stillborn child and they just had everything that's left over. I mean, you prepare for this stuff, you buy a crib, you get the the room ready and you know how it is with families these days. Everybody's buying you stuff that you're going to need for this baby and sadly, you know, the baby passed away and they're left with this crib and so long story short, the woman sells it at a yard sale after, you know, reluctantly she sells it and the guy who buys it is someone who, he he buys old furniture and turns them, like sort of recycles it and upcycles it into benches and in this case, he found out the story and just out of the kindness of his heart, remade this thing into a usable bench and gave it back to the family. And uh, it's it's super touching, heartwarming, tear jerking kind of uh, situation. Um, but definitely take a look at it. It's just a great example of how you know this little thing that we do as as a hobby. Some of us do it professionally, but. You know, we can do amazing things with it that means something to other people besides just building great furniture. Um, it's great to have that skill and the ability to do it and so cool uh that that we're able to have the story about this and share this with people. So uh we'll put we'll put the link in there. Um you're you're inhuman if you don't at least get a tear in your eye from watching this thing. It's pretty deep. Nice.
2: Well, Bob sent in, uh, what, a link, an article from Penn State University about air drying of wood, Mm -hmm. and uh, it gives a really good explanation of uh, equilibrium moisture content. I actually emailed Bob because it was was really good timing, because I was writing an article on EMC when this came in, and ended up using this as a resource. So if you've been to my site at all, uh, there was an article posted on Friday about wood movement. And I actually linked to this article in there as well. But this is really good, if for nothing, than the article, the, the Penn State article. But there's also a link to a Forest Products PDF at the bottom of this article that has all of the people who've sent in questions about air drying wood and how do I stack it and sticker it read this because I am now going to delete your questions in our show notes <laughs> because <laughs> this answers it better than I ever could. So if you have air drying or how do I stack my lumber, what do I do with this log? This is it. Wood Talk number 183. All your answers are in this link. We will I'm always, uh, it's, always it's have really to refer comprehensive, back to this. Very, very good PDF and a great article from Penn State. So thank you, Bob, for, for finding that. Uh, my article would not have sparkled had it not been for you. Very oh. nice. Shannon yeah. Sparkles.
1: <laughs> mm. Oh, there's, there's the show title. All right. Uh, let's move on to our poll of the week. Tom Iavino wrote a good one this week. You know, sometimes they're not great, but. Uh, what? Not <laughs> I would never say such a I thing <laughs> about my buddy Tom. Uh, no, this one's fantastic. How do you deal with wide boards? And what he means is if you are lucky enough to have some wide boards, do you cut them down? You know, how do you process them for a project? Um, 60% say that they would use it as is. Which is kind of good to hear. Um, hopefully they know what to do. You either gotta you know, there's a lot of different ways you can deal with it, but you got to get pretty clever on uh, flattening those things if they're really wide, uh, unless you're really good with your hand planes. And uh, let's see, 21% said I can't ever find wood that wide. 16% said that the, they would rip it into narrow strips and then glue it back together. I guess hope in in hopes of making it more stable. And uh, almost 3% said I would never work with such a wide board. So let me ask you guys. You get this beautiful just absolutely awesome I don't know 16 inch wide board happens to be about the width you're looking for for I don't know a hall table or a coffee table or something Um, would you cut it down we might have talked about this before if I'm not mistaken don't we all unanimously agree that we would not cut that board down
2: that's where I was going yeah
1: I think we. I'd have take it and one.
2: hide it before someone at the lumber yard cuts it down to sell to a customer and strips. <laughs> what is this board doing under the lunch table?
1: What is going on with this, Shannon? Uh, yeah, I think ultimately I would want to. I would rather take my my chances. You know, sometimes, of course, those wider boards can be a little bit unstable and, and have a tendency to cup uh, but I I would take my chances I just think they look yep. fantastic as if we don't get wood that much anymore so you got to celebrate it when you get it cutting it up into strips and alternating the end grain and all that crap I, I don't know that I would do it uh, maybe yeah. if the board moved on me later and I take the top off take it back in the shop and fix it um, but shoot right out of the gate I just give it a shot
0: yeah, I mean, I have a, a a board that I used in the a trestle table that we use for our dining room, and mm-hmm. every time I look at that, I'm like, I just wish I would have ignored the advice, like I do all the other advice, and just kept it <laughs> one wide board. Because <laughs> why did just, I have
2: to listen this time?
0: Exactly. That's that's exactly it. That's there are so many things in that table that I'm like, the one time I actually follow the quote unquote rules, I'm miserable because there's just the green just doesn't match exactly the right way, and it just oh. Would have looked so much cooler.
2: Yeah. You should just
0: veneer it now. I think I'm going to. That's a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. I like that. All right, let's move into our kickback. This is where you guys tell us something or give us some feedback on things that we said or maybe bring our attention to something and uh, show off your knowledge, which is always good. Let's see, we got a couple of them here. Let's do the first one from Robert. He says, I found your discussion, actually the first two were about our last topic on kind of the overabundance of information online and whether or not that gets in the way of your ability to actually cut wood and get things done in the shop. He says, I found your discussion of excessive woodworking content available to be very interesting. As I'm shifting from beginner to whatever the next phase is, Uh, whatever it's labeled, and I do find myself tuning out certain bits of information. I first subscribed to every magazine I could find and now I'm letting some of those subscriptions lapse as I find I don't need as much Hold on, i got to move my cursor. (laughs) <laughs> it was right over a letter and I like, couldn't figure out what the letter was I don't need as much coming at me uh, and also see some overlap in information same said about buying books and DVDs I developed quite a library fast and now more selective I'm spending more time and getting advice thanks Mark for, uh, um, before purchasing specific publications that said I'll tell you I'm addicted to the information flow I don't have the shop time for trial and error. Any edge I can gain before cutting into my lumber, I'll take it. Uh, I waste less time and lumber that way. I enjoy the outcome more and seem to be able to advance much quicker. The other part of my problem is apparent ADD. I can't seem to focus on just one thing. Today I ordered some bowl gouges for the bowl turning stock that I have already received. Yeah, cart before the horse. My project list isn't anywhere near completed, so let's just add more." Uh, that is where all this information comes in. While at work or on the road, I can enhance my abilities through this information and keep the information coming. Uh, as in my professional career, you soon to learn or you soon learn to filter out what's useful and what's not. There you go. Excellent.
2: Sweet. well, you
0: know, kind of following the line. Digital woodworking.
1: Mm-hmm. I like Digital it. work.
2: Woodworking. What's that? sketching It's it's the fault of lack of productivity in the American workforce. <laughs> oh, because well, nice they're all sitting Somebody there reading blogs and. Well, hey, well, you know, Mike sent in a, a kickback
0: and, and it's kind of following along the lines of what Robert said. And he says, I think one thing you missed on your discussion of consuming content versus actually working in the shop is that aspiring woodworkers have a strong perfectionist streak. As noobs, we're afraid of buying the wrong tool, wasting a piece of wood or ruining an assembled piece by screwing up the finish. You three and your different approaches and the books, magazines and videos available. Help me in my journey by getting me over that fear of mistakes. For many, the information gathering can lead to paralysis by analysis, but for me, it was critical to build confidence through ge- gathering information. A year of watching the Wood Whisper episodes gave me a good idea of what I wanted in a power shop and how to use those tools. Shannon's transition to hand, hand tool specialist helped me see a different approach to the craft in action rather than in magazine pictures, and Matt's everyman approach made me feel like I can even do it. And then he goes on to say, it's not a dig at Matt's skills, but rather a compliment of the approachability he projects. I approach, I project a lot of things. I don't know if approachability is one of them.
1: A wonderful uh, smell is one. Ali.
0: That is definitely one. Yes. Woo-wee. So I <laughs> think you guys are on that side of the microphone. Uh, but anyways, Mike goes on to say that along with major magazines, Taunton Press, everything Schwarz and what I can get from TV – I had what I needed to jump into the craft with confidence instead of trepidation. And I can't believe I said trepidation. Holy cats. Look at you. I I was going to trip on that one.
1: Nice. Well, good stuff.
2: Very good. Well, let's see. Brian has to say that listening to last week's poll about how many people build projects out of magazines made him wonder if the reason people don't build a lot of projects out of those magazines is because the magazines overcomplicate the project. Interesting. Hmm. For example... Every year or two, Fine Woodworking has an article about how to cut a dovetail. It seems each year they try to add more steps over the last article trying to make a better mousetrap. They, they take a task that to many woodworkers is a daunting task, overcomplicate it, and make it even more of a daunting task. After reading Fine Woodworking, I have to go watch uh, Roy Underhill, scribe a line, pull out his handsaw, cut the joint to reassure myself that the simple technique is okay to use. I would be interested in a poll of the week asking how many people build a project from their favorite woodworking TV show. Hmm. There you go, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Get it, get it going. How yep, many are there? The topic is all set for you. Aren't there only like really two? <laughs> I was going to say, I have to find a woodworking show first. <laughs> yeah. seeing as PBS in Maryland abhors woodworking.
1: Yeah. Same in Phoenix. It's uh slim Pickens these days on TV. Uh, Okay last one here is from Bradley he says in episode 182 you were talking about drilling small holes straight into a board for threaded inserts and in fact I think Matt said that you have to have things square and I think he said that like 10 times if i remember something
0: correctly. like that I, I square off center i'm not sure
1: <laughs> yeah uh, he says i found that small drill bits tend to walk when drilling leaving a less than desirable result i've gotten better results if i chuck the bit leaving about a quarter of an inch or less exposed to start the hole i then have enough to support enough support with the hole started to extend the bit and then finish drilling to the correct depth Pretty cool, interesting Good idea. Good point.
2: Good point. I hadn't thought about that.
1: Yeah, it's kind of simulating what. A lot of times, I'll make a little block, drill the the hole in it, and use that to kind of support the bit as I go through. But uh, I like that idea; it saves you some time. Yeah, it does. Cool beans. All right, we got a voicemail here, and this one is about air dried lumber. Let's see. Oh, where, where is it? Okay, bending air dried lumber. No, bending kiln. I'm going to shut up now.
2: <laughs> Good evening, Shannon, Matt, and Mark. This is Mike from the barren northern wastelands of Minnesota. In several previous
0: shows, Shannon has declared the infinite superiority of kiln-dried lumber over the bug-infested anathema that is air-dried lumber. Even though I've often heard air-dried lumber works better with hand tools, Shannon's points were all well taken. I have sketched some some designs that would require steam-bent pieces. And although air-dried lumber is a better choice for this application market forces, and limited space preclude me from obtaining it. Is it possible to bend kiln-dried lumber? If so, what functional limitations beyond those of air-dried lumber does it have? Thank you for your time. You produce a delightful show.
1: Delightful. That's very nice. Thank you for the voicemail, Mike. And I have a couple of links here that I found just digging around. There's a Rockler article that was written on steam bending. Uh, and I found just a it looks like a boat building website where someone has a little article that they wrote up on steam bending as well and i 've got an excerpt from a book that I could read, and I just wanted to see if anybody has any first hand experience or particular opinion on this before I read from woodbending made Simple, uh, which is a taunton release Hey, I have that book it 's good I like yeah, it yeah i should follow I can tell dr- you the
2: the Windsor world. Um, when I was down at um, Roy's school building a continuous arm, there were a few examples shown of what happens when you try to steam bend kiln-dried lumber. Yeah. And there's a lot of folks who would say, I, I'm not going to say it's not possible. It is certainly possible. I think Michael Fortune's done it before. Um, but the bend, you need to steam it longer, but there's also this um, diminishing returns. Once you steam it so long, sometimes you can actually... Um, cause structural integrity issues. You know, it turns into pulp and then it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but while you bend it, you have to provide absolute support around the entire end. And that's where I've seen Michael Fortune use a steel band. So that's supporting the entire arc um, because that, that wood is, is baked and the cell walls are harder. Um, I keep using that tortilla metaphor. When you put the tortilla on the oven rack, it turns hard and it snaps when you try to bend it. Um, it's, it's, it is possible, but most people who do any kind of steam bending for a longer, long enough period of time won't touch it because it's just too unpredictable. Um, and you put all that work in shaping and bend it and it snaps, whereas you go and get air dried stuff and you're, you're better off. I think if you're going to kiln dry something, it probably should go to a bent lamb, um, process right so this sounds to me like one of those situations where you should just
0: know how to pick your battle and 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 go with that instead potentially
1: but listen listen to this from uh, launch lining is that how many pronounces that
0: it's not the way I do, but long you're probably pronouncing it better.
1: Lining. Wood bending made simple. It's a fairly recent release, actually. I'll put a link if anybody wants to pick it up, and I recommend you do because I'm going to read here verbatim from a portion, uh, which, uh, I don't know, is that is that legal? Am I okay?
0: Uh, I think as long as you acknowledge <laughs> who it is, where it's coming from, we're somewhat covered.
1: Yeah, and if you're even remotely interested in this stuff, this is just a portion of a great uh, little excerpt here. Uh, he says, many otherwise reliable sources on bending are adamant that moisture content must be higher than a normal 7-10% to 10% to bend successfully using steam heat. They sincerely believe that you have to use uncured or green wood, or at the very least, wood that's been air-dried to some higher than normal moisture content. These are often the same sources that suggest you must soak wood to bend it, or at that moisture content must be at some level, or that the moisture constant, oh god, this is great, or at the moisture constant, must be at some level or other to make certain bends. Uh, They say that you're wasting your time trying to bend kiln-dried wood because it's case-hardened or too dry for bending. These beliefs are inaccurate, even kiln-dried wood, steam bends very well at 7% to 10% moisture content. The bottom line with bending wood using steam heat is that you can use whatever wood you have available. With the right setup, you can bend wood regardless of moisture content and whether or not the wood is green or has been soaked or air-dried. What is important is that you get the wood to a moisture content of 7 to 10% before you try to build furniture out of it. Ooh. So that's the way Mr. Schleining feels about it. yeah.
2: Well, and and I've got customers that bend, you know, in professional huge production shops that bend dry. You know, it's just a matter of putting it in a press. Right. And But again, it's that complete support throughout the entire bend. So basically they're taking a form and the negative of that form, sticking the board in it, and dropping a hydraulic press on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a, a chair builder, um, one of our customers, basically making – Uh, chair seats that were probably 18 inches wide and then take an eight quarter piece of hard maple stick it in this press flip a switch and it goes down and it it bends it for you and you just it does not seem like that's possible so there you go it is possible
1: (laughs) well cool stuff uh let's see what are we doing next are we on the emails now I think we are. Yes, we yes. Are. Uh, let's do yeah, this. Voicemail,
0: email. It kind of doesn't go alphabetical, but it works.
1: Right. Uh, Shannon, I know you're pressed for time. So if you want, take your email first. And then if you need to leave, you could leave. Okay.
2: How's and that? So I'm being kicked off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, Shannon,
0: we're sorry, but that advice you just gave, <laughs> uh, you crossed the <laughs> Apparently line. that was wrong.
1: Lon disagrees, and uh, goodbye. Okay, goodbye.
2: You know, it, it is
1: interesting, though. I, I do
2: have to say, uh, it was interesting that the perception, I can't remember the guy that left that voicemail, was it Mike?
1: Yes, something Mike. like that. Mike.
2: His perception was that um, I do not like air-dried <laughs> lumber, and that's actually just the opposite. <laughs> I really like air-dried lumber. As a hand tool guy, it works so much easier than kiln-dried. It's just not easy to get and to be certain that you're getting something that's not infested. So right. I love it. If you can get it and you can be confident about it, go for it. Anyway. Okay. Um, so this is an email from Aaron. He says, "I have a router and um, but I'm learning to love the hand tools. I'm learning to love the hand tools as well. I've purchased a few molding planes that I need to play with still, but I was thinking, how do you make a molding on a curved section? Well, the molding planes you just bought are useless so you can now put them away and don't need to play with them because obviously a molding a plane itself works in a straight line or you know pretty close to a straight line. So how you make a molding on a curved section could be done a couple of ways. You could do it with a rasp. Um, I actually have a video up on my site now where I I use rasps to create a um, OG, not an OG, but um, an elliptical curve on the underside of a tabletop. The rasps can take it from rough all the way up to finish ready, or you can use carving gouges to rough in the shape and then follow it up with a scratch stock. And, uh, that's generally what I do, no matter whether I'm using rasps or not, I'll finish up with some sort of scratch stock because you can kind of unify the surface and kind of get the, um, the scratch pattern, if you will, all the same reflecting the same way. So when you put finish on it, you don't see the, the different tool marks. Mm -hmm. That's the, the really the, I don't know. I'm sure it's not the only way, but it seems like every technique I see using hand tools and shaping curved profiles ends up with some sort of scratch stock. Because you can kind of unify it all together. So there you go. Cool. Just that easy. It wow. sounds good. Good That's to know. It's very
1: uncomplicated. <laughs> I know. So unlike me for a change. Uh, <laughs> all right. Next email we have here is from Joe. He says, as someone uh, who was primarily a power tool user, I started incorporating hand tools into my process a lot more. I found that I actually enjoy working with them quite a bit, and started reaching for them in reference. Uh, to their corded brethren Uh, one thing I'm struggling with is the mess I'm kind of meticulous about dust and chip collection on my power tools and uh, while I enjoy working with hand tools the mess is everywhere and it bothers me I'd like to hear how others handle this do you just accept the mess push it out of the way until you're ready to clean up any best practices to keep the stuff contained does Lee Nielsen make 4 inch dust ports yet I love that <laughs> I think if you put it in the uh, suggestion box, they may consider it. <laughs> um, I think you know, and I mean this in the kindest way, Joe, because I, I do things like this as well. Um, this is in the category of problems that aren't problems, <laughs> right? You know, I the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it, it's fine, and I think I get meticulous about dust and things like that too. Uh, but ultimately, it's just not an issue. Most of the waste that you're making with your hand tools falls uh, nicely to the floor and is very cushiony. To walk on, and unless it's like a hazard, you know, maybe it's on a floor that's got a slick finish on it, so it becomes uh, slippery it 's really not an issue, and hopefully you have some some pads for your your feet anyway, so they just fall onto a padded surface, and it doesn 't really pose anything other than sort of the inconvenience uh, or, or maybe just the eyesore that's that 's bothering you uh, but really, I think you know our shops aren 't necessarily meant to be like a medical facility uh, if there 's wood dust and especially the stuff that comes from hand tools uh, tends to be larger pieces of dust, larger chips and, and and long stringy things. You know, it's not quite the same type of dust you would get if you ran a sander without dust collection. Um, so honestly for me, that stuff doesn't bother me. I leave it there until it's time to clean. If I know I'm going to be making more tomorrow, I'm not going to clean it up. I'm just going to leave it where it is. So if it is something that bugs you, what I'd recommend doing is get your, get yourself one of those wide push brooms uh, that you could very easily just kind of in a couple sweeps, push it to the side, put it up against the wall uh, and then when you're actually ready to do a full cleaning, go ahead and just uh, you know get a broom and a little dust pan and put it in the garbage. Um, but I really wouldn't think about it that much uh, because it's just, it's a nice problem to have, frankly. Yeah.
0: I would right. love to have all of my my cleanups be something along the lines of that big shavings and big chips and stuff like that versus coming in with a uh, a fine vacuum and trying to get all the uh, fine dust out of the way.
2: You know, that raises a good point though if cuz yeah, I know he's making a joke saying do they make 4-inch dust ports, but if his shop vac is a collector of some sort, mm-hmm. those shavings can clog up cuz mm-hmm. you've got that little grate on the on the input port to prevent you from like sucking things into the sure. impeller blade. Um, and those shavings will will wrap around that and clog up really, really quickly. Yeah. So my one and a half horse dust collector is my shop vac now. I got rid of the shop vac because I didn't need it. I wasn't really using the dust collector for much. So I actually cut out that grate um, to, so I could keep sucking up shavings. But it does mean that I've got to be a little meticulous because the little, like um, cut out the pins when you're cutting dovetails and those little fall out they make a really big bad noise (laughs) when they go into the (laughs) dust collector so I've gotten in the habit of using that push room like Mark said and kind of sweeping up and you know in a dustpan into the trash can and then using the shop vac to clean up the you know the little stuff left over after that so it is something to be aware of my dust collector like stopped working It's like why can I get no suction on this and it's because it was completely clogged up with big joiner plane shavings (laughs) nice
1: cool
0: Sweet. Well, hey, we have a question from Josh, and he, has, he says, I have a slab of applewood, and it was the topmost slab taken off the tree, so the backside was the outside of the tree, and the shape is kind of half round and tapers to around three quarters of an inch at the ends, and I believe the thickest part is approximately three inches from what he was describing in his email. Now, he says, I assume I'll, I'll need to remove the bark, but I've designed a hall table around the shape and want to leave as much of the live bottom as possible. However, I'm not sure how to go about flattening a slab that rocks back and forth along the length and width. I've not been able to get any, uh, get enough clamping pressure to hold it steady on my bench for hand planing, and it's wider than my 6-inch joiner if I tried flipping it top down. Any ideas? In a nutshell, Josh, the big thing is you, you need to come up with some sort of uh, shims or wedges, some sort of sled or something in which you can kind of lock this in position. So if you're going to say use, if you have a thickness planer, you could... Kind of do that. You set up a little uh, a planer sled, and again, kind of lock it in place with the wedges. If you still want to go the route of the hand plane on the workbench, I would pretty much do the same exact thing. I would just kind of wedge these things in place, and because you said you've already designed the the hall table around the shape of this, perhaps the contact points for where you're going to attach it to the rest of the table, maybe that's where you could physically use some sort of mechanical fastener to uh, connect the wedges to it and then attach that to your workbench so that it stays in position and kind of go from there. One other thing I thought of was, uh, if anybody remembers way back when, when Mark talked about how he flattened his workbench for the very first time using a router uh, jig that he set up, perhaps again, if you can wedge this in place and get it nice and, and solid so it's not going all over the place, you could come in and maybe even use your router for this. But I think the key to all of these possible scenarios is finding the right way to kind of wedge this in and get it locked in position. And to be quite honest with you, it's, it wouldn't be that difficult. It's a matter of just getting a little experimentation to find that sweet spot.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, go to a Joe's shop and pick up some of that stuff on the floor. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Just wedge Jam it up in it under there. the slab and, and <laughs> you, you're good to go. You
0: nice. know, one thing I, I thought of is that as I'm sitting here right behind me, my wife has like one of those big, thick pieces of uh, foam that you might use like when you're like doing some reupholstery or something. I almost thought about just set that right down in there. And if anything, that's going to kind of support it just enough that you could easily either a- add more wedges to it or who knows, maybe it's thick enough that you could actually lock it into position to help you get at least started on what you want to do with it.
1: Nice. Here,
2: I thought you were going to suggest the cat.
0: Uh, well, Behind I do have some other suggestions for the cat, but I can't talk about those here on this show right now. <laughs> Hold still, Hamlet. Hold but, this
1: board. That would, that would work, but you need two. You got to one on each side, so go get another cat. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess that's about it. Uh, we're going to get you out of here on time, Shannon. There you go. Hey, look at that. All right. Uh, you can support us if you want to. You don't have to, but you can. There's a couple of different ways. You probably ways.
0: should though, definitely.
1: Okay, well, because otherwise the show just may dry up, wither and fall off the tree. Or I'm
0: just going to start chortling way more than you can handle.
1: And nobody wants that. Uh, all right, well, you can give us a recurring donation. You could sign up for that at woodtalkshow.com if you'd like to do that. Also, Wood Talk t-shirts are available at twwstore.com and those are awesome. In fact, I wore mine this weekend. Uh, I for, I wore it on a day that I wasn't teaching which means I actually had more pictures taken on the other days. So I, I, don't, I don't really have any photos with me wearing the shirt. So I, I wore it. I just wore it on the wrong day. It's all right. Uh, I
0: was really shocked that I saw you wearing I'm like, oh my gosh.
1: Oh my gosh, is that photoshopped? I did it for you guys, uh, frankly, because I knew you would really bust my you-know-whats if I didn't. So uh, You can also leave us an iTunes review, which we always appreciate. Just go to the iTunes store, click on uh, find our show, click on ratings and reviews, and if you can, click that five-star rating like Jason... CNG and Dan Dan Cigar Man I guess is what he wants to be called yeah Uh, that works yeah he had this to say actually it's a much longer review but he's uh, very very nice about it he says I recently started a longer commute to work and Mark Matt and Shannon have made this time pass with much enjoyment Uh, maybe it's just the the gas is evaporating from my last project's finish but you guys have something really awesome going on here at Wood Talk I say I say all that to say that on your on your own each of you are awesome Uh, together you make a powerhouse of a team that I haven't found on other podcasts I enjoy the show and it's starting to feel a little bit less of a solitary hobby thank you guys for what you do keep up the great work Well, thank you very much, Dan Cigarman. Dan Cigarman. That's pretty awesome. You know, that's funny because that's uh, really in the beginning, that's kind of what it was, you know, realizing we're all alone in our shops like this. And unless you go to local guilds, which, you know, aren't the meetings aren't (laughs) quite that fun, um, which don't exist in my neighborhood. Or they don't exist, yeah. uh, It's a very solitary task. And it was like, well, other communities are building up online. Why can't we have a big woodworking community? And, you know, it's 10 years later, here we are. That's pretty awesome. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that's about it, Matt. How about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here.
0: All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question or a topic suggestion? Maybe some of that great feedback that we've been getting a lot lately. You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. You can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com or you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And you know what? I don't think I mention this very often, but just in case, just want to let you know, that we also have our own individual sites. So Mark's over at thewoodwhisperer.com. Shannon's over at renaissancewoodworker.com. And I'm over at some guy who probably should stop chortling.com. Uh, so don't <laughs> forget. Also, you can check out the forums at woodtalkonline.com. Actually, I'm at Matt's basement workshop, but I should really now get that URL.
1: You should. That's you uh, should. in high demand, great- I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time.
2: All right. See you ya. Ya later.